Hello there, everybody, and welcome to the Talking City podcast, brought to you by the Manchester Evening News and coming to you live on Facebook. My name is Dan Murphy, and joining me today is Mr. Joe Gray. Joe, how's it going? Not too bad, thanks, Dan. Uh, enjoying the uh, the return of the Premier League. Nice, lot of talking points, lots of some teams nearer the bottom than you would have expected. So, yeah, I'm enjoying it. Oh, did we expect United to be bottom? I don't know. I think some may have. I think some may have. I don't think anyone could have predicted it going quite as spectacularly badly. But, you know, while the troubles remain rife over on the red side of Manchester, on the blue, it remains as sunny as ever. This weekend, City's title defence continued at a pace with a 4-0 win over Bournemouth. Um, Joe, you were there. It was pretty much as expected, if not, not quite as high of a goal margin that it perhaps could have been. Yeah, well, I think it was obviously absolutely baking at the Etihad. It seemed to me like as soon as City went in at half-time at 3-0, both teams decided that it's not really worth running anymore in the heat and Bournemouth were probably looking at damage limitations. City probably thought, let's not overexert these players um, because the game was won. The game was absolutely done and dusted. By the time Ilkay Gundogan put the ball in the net for the first goal, um, it had been coming. There's a lot of chances beforehand, um, a few crosses, a few corners. Um, Phil Foden missed a glorious opportunity, and we've heard Pep Guardiola say he had to pass it across to uh, Erling Haaland, but then he found himself in the same position later on and found the back of the net. So it was very, very ruthless from City in that first half. And I think that is what. Guardiola will will look at more than the fact that they didn't score as many in the second half. I think a mixture of a lot of things just meant that City took the foot off the gas and didn't really need to do do anything else. Um, but yeah, it was it was a really really interesting game. You can see those sort of patterns coming into City's style of play. Um, a lot's been made of Erling Haaland's lack of touches, which I'm sure will will come on to. But it's so clear how he's bringing other players into the game and it's not a coincidence that the goal scorers were Ilkay Gundogan, Kevin De Bruyne and Phil Foden all running through midfield because as Guardiola said Erling Haaland had three central defenders on him and two defensive midfielders surrounding him as well so it's actually I think it's quite impressive he got eight touches or whatever because there's it's hard for him to get involved in such tight spaces and it's up to City to work on that and we're forgetting it's two games in so mm. to see the the movements and the the goals that City are scoring at the moment, um, it was a bit more fluid than it was at West Ham. Obviously, a very very different game. Bournemouth came and stuck five players at the back, four players in midfield, and Kiefer Moore had a thankless task up front, just chasing chasing nothing really. Um, so it was hard for City to break down. They're going to have to get used to those sort of games at the Etihad and how to incorporate Haaland, but. If Haaland's not going to be involved and you still win 4-0, that's hardly a, a bad return, is it? No, not at all. I mean, we will touch on Haaland. First, the, I wouldn't say from my perspective or probably any City fan's perspective, a negative aspect to the game, but potentially a kind of not perfect one, shall we say, from the match was obviously Haaland's probably a bit, not concerning, but... Um, of note were the kind of lack of involvement. As you say, he made just two passes in the match, but of course, one of them was crucial in the first um, assist, for, assist for the first goal, a brilliant one too, with Gundogan. And 
So as you said, there is it. It's still early days, of course. With City are getting used to playing, they afford to getting used to playing with a more fo- more of a focal point, a proper spearhead up front, rather than the the midfielder that comes deep. What they've been used to for the last two seasons, pretty much. Is it just a case of that clicking? As you say, the the the, the glaring one was when Foden really should have teed up Haaland, and maybe that was a case of him not really been in the mindset or the um the thinking of there being a striker there waiting for that chance. Whereas in, in the past it may have been a cutback that'd be as in slack to the edge of the box, which might have been more likely when you have a De Bruyne or a Bernardo in the central attacking role and they're dropping deeper. It might usually might have been better to go for goal. And as you said, he went and scored from the exact same position later on in the half anyway. Is it just a case of just the change in mindset, I think, of City players knowing that they now have a lethal goal scorer right in the box and just taking that up, that opportunity when it arises. I think, yeah, absolutely. You, you listen to Guardiola whenever Haaland is, is part of the question and this season, every other question is about Haaland. There's a lot of interest in, in how he's doing. You listen to all the players when they're asked about what he's like in training, how, how long is it going to take to click. The message is pretty united, which is, it's going to take time. It's just going to require work on the training pitch. And if if he's going to have a quiet game, you'd want him to have a quiet game where he gets an assist. And there's a chance in the second half, just before he got taken off, Jack Grealish actually did get to the byline, put one of those balls into the box on sort of the six-yard area. And he, he scuffed it. He, it wasn't a great sort of connection from, from Haaland, but he was in that position and he was, he was found. And then later in that second half, City obviously got a goal from a, a similar cross when Cancelo cut back onto his his left and and got the uh, it was an own goal wasn't it from from Jefferson Lerma so I think those balls are will be put into the box but it's just a case of finding the right time m- making sure that Haaland will be there can he get free of these defenders when when's the right time to sort of pull that trigger but no I I think he, he played quite similar to the West Ham game, but the difference was he, he didn't find the back of the net two times. At West Ham, he was quite quiet as well. He, he had a few, quite a lot more touches there, but it, he's, he's one of those players who I don't think he is going to be involved. Maybe over time when he learns the Pep Guardiola away, he, he will start coming deep and, and linking up. We saw the same with Sergio Aguero, didn't we? It's, it's not his natural game. So to expect him to do it in, in less than two games, he's only played 150 minutes in, in the league. To expect him to do it straight away is probably asking a little bit too much. And if he's going to have these sort of quiet two games, then you're quite happy with two goals and an assist, aren't you? I was I was actually looking there's a piece out this morning that what he's done with those 38 touches it is that he's had, and it's when you look at that, it's, I don't think it's a problem at all. I think that's more of a a warning if you like that if he can do this with 38 touches what's he going to do when he's having double that in the in the Premier League I've I've written it down for you some stats for you go on hit me hit me he's had seven shots in the, in the game of, within these 32 38 touches of which two have been goals which isn't too bad three passes leading to shots one being an assist and then two two extra touches to set up that that ball for, for Gundogan which by the way I thought was showed his physicality, didn't it? To to have three players on him, take one touch to control, another to take it away and a third to flick it back as he was falling is not to be sniffed out. It wasn't uh, an easy assist by any stretch. No. He's won one penalty, 
reclaimed the ball four times, won three fouls, one clearance in the box of his passes. He's completed 23 out of 26. He's won back uh, possession three times with, with pressure. So he's when he's getting the ball, he's doing something with it. That's what Guardiola and City will, will be looking at. And every 3.5 touches, he's creating a chance either for him or some, someone else. Now, I don't see mm. that as a problem as a lot of people are making out. Obviously, you want him involved more. Obviously, you want him over time to come come deep and, and link up with other players. But if he's doing, if he's that effective with the touches that he is having, and at the same time, he's allowing the space for those runners from midfield. Scott Parker said it, the Bournemouth manager, he was like, it's all well and good focusing on Haaland, but when you've got Gundogan running through the centre and then Kevin De Bruyne was absolutely fantastic that second goal where he just sort of shimmied one way and, and bent in the corner with his other and the same, he had space for the, the third goal and, and Phil Foden made that run that space probably wouldn't have been there if Haaland wasn't occupied so yeah I'm, I'm not buying this that it's a problem I think it's a real opportunity for City No I completely agree and I get the impression if Foden had a, kind of squared that ball and he sticks it into a pretty much an empty net we wouldn't even yeah. be kind of having this conversation would be saying, oh, what a start. He's had three goals, two games, absolutely brilliant. You know, he's you know hitting the ground running. And even though he didn't score against uh, Bournemouth, I still think he is. As you say, when he's attracting five defensive players around him, he's opening so much more space for the other forwards and the midfielders. Crucially, I think what City are doing a bit different now is you're having Gundogan, as we've seen with the goal, and De Bruyne kind of running beyond the strikers a bit more because Haaland's kind of bringing them and the centre-back's in. He's creating space um, in the, I wouldn't say channels, but kind of the area between the, the, the just wide of the post, that sort of position where there's space opening up. Gundogan's going to have an absolute field day exploiting that throughout the season, as he already is showing. And the thing is, Haaland wasn't brought in to score tap-ins and stuff against Bournemouth. That would be nice, that would be good. But City have never had an issue of breaking teams. And as you said, like a lot of these teams that City will face this season, they will sit deep. They will put five defenders at the back, two defensive midfielders, and they'll sit deep and they'll try and frustrate City. But by the for the large part, City have never really had any trouble breaking those teams down eventually. They, you know, they hammered bomb 4-0, quite comfortably so. The next week's opponents, Newcastle, they beat 5-0 when they last faced them in May. Like They don't have that much problem breaking down teams. It's the games, the chaotic Champions League matches where teams are going at them, where the game's open, where Pep isn't, hasn't been able to get the control, City haven't been able to get the control they usually enjoy in those games where there's so much more frantic, there's so much more tension, you're against, obviously, world-class opposition. Hound's been brought in to be that cool-headed figure in those games, the one who can break through um, high-line defences with his blistering pace and then have the composure to finish the guilty chances, which the likes of Sterling and Jesus just haven't been able to do consistently enough, which has often cost City in the biggest moments in the Champions League. So even if, you know, Haaland, what does I say? Haaland isn't needed or was brought in to for City to carry on doing what they were doing with quite a lot of comfort for the last four years. He's been brought in to do the thing that they haven't been able to do in that is to win the Champions League. Yeah, and we've seen, I mean, against West Ham, the moment he got space, he made that run in, in, and scored that second goal. He didn't need any space to win win the penalty. Even against Liverpool, where everyone was saying it was a, a bad performance, he got in the position to miss that chance, mm. which 
he's not going to do again or consistently. And even in the first half, he managed to shrug off, was it Van Dijk or Robertson? And, Robertson, I think. And have a sh- shot on goal. So he's creating those chances. His first game in, in pre-season against Bayern Munich, obviously it's it's pre-season. It, it wasn't a, a proper gauge on on how we, how we would do, say, against Bayern in, in the Champions League. But his second touch, he got a goal, he slid in and he had chances and he was he's always making those runs and when those runs are spotted and when City work out how to, to get them and when there is more space in these sort of games against higher opposition who might be a little bit more confident coming out and pressing City, mm-hmm. then I think, as you say, that that is where he will make the difference and City drew twice with Liverpool last year. He might be the one to turn one of those draws into into three points and, and that could be the difference between the Premier League because... It's, it's, mm-hmm. There's only a point or two difference between City and Liverpool at the moment when it comes to mm. to the end of the league and winning titles. So, yeah, I, I really don't get the the worry. I know everyone wants to look into everything that he does, every kick, every game that he might not do as well as people think. But I would say that the early signs are very positive. And even if he is, he has been quite quiet. He's still got two goals and assists. So, I think City would take him having a, a quiet season and, and averaging that every two games and they'd probably win the league as a result. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's easy to forget. He is still just 22. I know he's a phenomenon and he's like probably, you know, if, other than Lewandowski and Benzema, he's like the world's best striker, but he's still just 20, um, 22 years old. Like He's still developing. He's still learning his game and he's going to get so much better under Guardiola as we've seen with pretty much every player who's arrived at City. But, you know, the first two games, two wins, I'd, I'd like to say, Joe, that Probably the star of the show so far has been Ilkay Gundogan. Um, it's been quite um, quite a journey because like, in May, towards the end of last season, there was growing speculation that he might leave. Um, I know there was a bit of anxiety when he was <laughs> spotted in a private jet terminal in Manchester Airport. It turned out he was just jetting off to get married. But there was real anxiety towards the end of the season that he, he may leave. His contract runs um, expires next summer in 2023. But he, he kind of maintained he was happy at City. He was going to stay out the you know the length of his contract and hold talks. Um Gundogan's always been quite a calm one when it comes to his contract. If I remember correctly before the he signed his extension to 2023 a few years ago. Didn't he didn't he say something like in a Champions League press conference he was alongside Guardiola before a game and he was saying I'm not even thinking about it or anything. He was he's always remained very kind of um uh, composed about it, calm, doesn't really let it affect him. Um, playing time was obviously a big, important, a big important factor to him. And if he wants to stay, he didn't get to play as much as he'd like last season. He admitted himself after he he's got um, braced on the final day, won the league, that it had been a difficult campaign, and that's mostly because Bernardo Silva was absolutely amazing throughout the year, and City's midfield was set. But with the uncertainty surrounding Bernardo, which we, we will touch on in a minute, Gundogan started both games this year. He's been appointed the new club captain, beating out the likes of, and potentially surprisingly beating out the likes of um, De Bruyne and Ruben Diaz for the armband. He started brilliantly. It was a really um, elegant performance against West Ham that really helped City control a team that have often been a bit of a bogey team for him, or at least given him a bit of trouble, as we saw in the second-to-last game last season. And then he gets the goal, um, you know, his 50th goal for City against Bournemouth, a brilliant finish, a great move. And he's, you know, with the uncertainty surrounding Bernardo and how well he started, he looks like he could well be a mainstay for the rest of the campaign. And he's, yeah, he's, he's, made, he's made a brilliant start and it's, he's, he remains a great player. And I think 
it's a real success story for Gundogan. Because remember when he first came in, he suffered a horrible cruciate. In fact, he suffered an horrible cruciate injury before City signed him, but Guardiola had so much faith in him that he, you know, still had no doubt about getting him in. He suffered another one shortly after being at City. So to come back and to play at such a high level still is really, really remarkable. And it's um, a real testament to his ability and his endurance. Yeah, I think it says everything that it's the City players who vote for the captain, isn't it? They they take the, the vote. Guardiola said himself he's doesn't have a vote. He's the only one within the players and the backroom staff. So for him to to get that that captaincy, get that vote of confidence from his teammates, says says a lot about how he's viewed in the changing room. Um, is he is he the oldest player now? He's he's a bit older than De Bruyne, isn't he? So um, thirty one he is. So he's certainly up there. I so he, he's got the experience. He's been him or Walker, I think. Yeah, that Walker as well. He's been there. He's he's done it. And yes, he does have less than a year on his contract now. But as you say, every time he's asked about it, he just says he's calm. He'll wait for for City. He knows he wants to stay. He's happy staying. He's playing his best football. Um, I mean, he always says that he he loves talking to Guardiola about life and and football and stuff. Um, and City have, I think, being quite calm as well. It, it doesn't seem like it's an issue as it would be with with other players with a year left on on the contract. And maybe the captaincy will work in his favour for for extending that. And if he keeps playing as he has done end of last season and, and these two games, then, if, I mean, if he can keep Bernardo Silva out of the team, regardless of what happens, then he's he's doing quite well, isn't he? And I think he will be one of the players to benefit from, from Haaland getting all the attention because he likes to make those bursts forward. We saw, was it last season or the year before when he scored all those goals uh, around Christmas and New Year? Two years ago, two I think years, it was, yeah, when he was, he was actually the club's top scorer. And he was just bursting through midfield and he's, he's got an eye for those runs. So if, if there's space there and, and he can exploit it, then it, it could be a, a useful weapon for, for City this season, yeah, like you say. But no, he's he's always been a good player who's always been a hard worker. He's he's always been popular. Um and I, I think if, if he did sign that that extension, I don't think anyone would would have any complaints. And I think he's probably the right choice for, for captain as well. I know Guardiola said he, he sort of expected De Bruyne to be captain, didn't he? But I think as a as a, a leader, as a as a player who sort of leads by example and can do the talking, that's the sort of quality that City want from from a captain nowadays. Um I think yeah, he he fits the bill more than anyone else. But it's, I mean, credit to Kevin De Bruyne because he's risen up the rankings, hasn't he? Of this this leadership group, he was sort of dropped down a couple of uh, a couple of ranks, and now he's he's back to vice captain. So um, yeah, I think that the makeup of that leadership group, Rodri's come in now. Um, I think that's a, a pretty solid group of, of professionals that you would want to to take the armband and and give that sort of leadership on the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think City structure is really quite interesting and good. It is the players who do it themselves. I'm not sure how other clubs do it. I know there's, there's been a bit of talk this year about kind of Gerard taking the captaincy yeah. off Mings, hasn't it, and giving it to McGinn and stuff like that. And I do think it's quite interesting how it is. You know, the city, the players doing it. it should be that way. They are like you know, it's like the the first mate on a ship, isn't it? It's the representation of the players. So it makes a lot of sense, and and it, I think it creates a strong. Strong leadership structure within the squad. Um, have, you know, and isn't Ake in there now? If he's not in the group itself, I know that he was definitely um, name checked by a player recently mm-hmm. as a strong leader in the squad. It's like even players who wouldn't, you know, Delph was a great example, obviously, and even like the likes of Scott Carson. Look, there's so many. Even if you're not an absolute mainstay player in City, like I think the, the way the structure works, it just kind of fosters a real kind of good leadership, and players can have a role even if. 
they aren't, you know, your guaranteed starters. But, you know, one player who definitely is a guaranteed starter is, of course, De Bruyne. You know, we've waxed Liverpool about him multiple times already. Um, so early on in this season, but it would absolutely be a miss of us if we didn't praise to high heaven that beautiful outside of the boot finish. Yeah, Ricardo Cuesma-esque, I would say. Yeah, we were right behind it in the press box. And I think Guardiola said, well, he had a similar angle and, and he said there was no space. And then suddenly, as I say, he just does that jinked to one way the defender goes with him and he just makes that little curled angle and it's oh, it really I, I forget how good De Bruyne is with the ball at his feet we know how good he is passing we know how good he is crossing but he, he really showed his sort of dribbling qualities the other day um, and he, yeah he's, he's he started the season really well he, he said didn't he that last year he came back from from Belgium. He was absolutely shot with fitness and, and injuries and he probably rushed himself back too early. He said he went on holiday this year, gave himself an extra week, just relaxed, completely switched off. And he seems to be really in, in the best form and the best sort of space and, and fitness. So that can only bode well for City. You never know what's going to happen after the World Cup. You would expect Belgium to rely on him heavily and then who knows what what he'll come back like in on Boxing Day is it Leeds they've got. So you never know. But until that point, I think City will try and get as much as from De Bruyne as they can. And when he's playing as he is doing, then he's going to get goals and he's going to create chances. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as as I said last week, he's definitely once again playing like a player who's really looking to make up for lost time. Um, I say he spent a bit of the style last season injured and on the sidelines and not hundred percent fit. But since the turn of the year, he's been remarkable. And I know the Bandor nominees are just gone out soon, and it's probably Benzema's for the taking this year, and deservedly so. But. De Bruyne is going to have to be up there, I reckon, for my money, especially if he has a good World Cup, I should say. But, you know, the, to, to end the, the match, Joel, you know, 4-0, very good victory. But there was a, a hint of emotion and maybe a bit of um, sadness towards the end as, you know, Bernardo Silva, there's continued uncertainty around his future. It's well documented that he wanted to go last year, would probably be keen on doing so again. To, and nothing to do with football, from my understanding. It's just, he, you know, a bit homesick. He wants to, be, you know, be back closer to his native Portugal. He certainly can't be missing the weather anyway at the minute because it's still absolutely sweltering. But, it's, you know, he wants to be closer to his, his homeland. Barcelona um, will be pulling another magical lever from somewhere, God knows how, um, and apparently going to be the team who facilitate that return to mainland Europe. I imagine it all depends on if they can finally get De Jong out the door, which would bring in a hefty transfer fee, which can immediately go on Bernardo. Um, you know, two kind of two prongs. You know, Bernardo came on on the Etihad um, in the second half rapturous reception from the Etihad you know I think as you said in a piece a player who makes his desire to leave so public a la look at Cristiano Ronaldo at Old Trafford could get booed by some supporters but Bernardo not not a hint of that absolutely adoration pouring from the stands um, a sustained kind of welcome as well whenever he went over for a corner he was applauded whenever he went for a drink um, it started up again after the match he kind of lingered on the pitch gave his shirt to a fan pointedly clapped and applauded every side of the Etihad um, with the last player off the pitch. That, to me, you know, that's poignant scenes. To me, it, it's a, if it's not a guaranteed goodbye, it's certainly getting it in just in case it's a last chance. That's what it struck me as. It's, it's looking, you know, if Barcelona can get it on, it looks like City won't stand in a player's way if 
a good offer comes in for a player. But in this case, should they? Because I think if they let Bernardo go now with a couple of weeks of the transfer window remaining, they're leaving themselves really short. Such a versatile player. They've already sold or got rid of um, you know, Fernandinho leaving on his own accord. They've already seen a lot of versatile players leave this summer. Bernardo goes down to 19 senior players, replacing him at such a, you know, less than, uh, just over a couple of weeks of the transfer window left is not going to be easy. To me, I think, it's, I've, I've said, we're going on record to say, I think it's quite an admirable stance that you have to allow players to leave. They don't want them to be unhappy. I think that's really good of them. But it is football, at the end of the day, it is a business. And I think leaving Bernard, letting Bernardo go at this juncture would really be um, a kind of suicidal move, especially when they've got such um, such uh, aims for winning the Champions League and whatnot. Yeah, I don't think they should let him leave. And it seems like there is a, an understanding of that that interview with Bernardo was quite revealing last week where he said he doesn't know whether he's going to stay or not. But at the same time, he accepts City's stance. He will always give 100%, as he said last time when he wanted to leave and no offer came in. Um, I think he will always be professional. I think he accepts that that is the situation and he is worth a lot of money and if no one pays it then why would City let him go and I think City would only sell him if they got a replacement and obviously time's running out and with Barcelona I mean I don't get why anyone would want to go to Barcelona at the moment when you're probably going to have to take a pay cut or not even get registered at, at some yeah, point in play. 12, 12 months but obviously there, there are sort of personal reasons and stuff I don't think City fans would be good Jim if he left but the impression I got at the Etihad on Saturday was it obviously City fans were making it very very clear they wanted him to stay I think there is respect for his position and the things that he said in that interview of, of course if he don't want to stay in Manchester then he doesn't want to stay in Manchester he's, he's not from here he's from a very different climate that's that's absolutely fine um, and as you say when he came on even when he was warming up massive applause singing his song came on probably the biggest cheer of the second half barring the goal um his, his chant continued for five ten minutes went to take a corner as you say it was he definitely got that message and at full time when he went around the stands i got the impression that he was just saying thank you it might have been a goodbye but it just felt like it was a, a mutual appreciation for okay. acknowledging the situation and when he went to give the his shirt, it, yeah, I think he'd spotted a sign. He was about to go off, then ran, spotted the sign. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not for signs, but he did. He went and gave gave his shirt to this fan on the opposite side, and that was the reason why he was the last player. Now, I, I tweeted a little video of this because it was interesting with everything going on, but I just said, just the facts, he's the last off the pitch. He's applauded, giving his shirt away. I think every single person in Barcelona has retweeted it and and, and watched it and and taken that as gospel that, that he's definitely going. But I don't know. That's mm. not the impression I got. And after the game, Kevin De Bruyne told reporters that he expects Guardiola to stay, mm. uh, Bernardo to stay. Guardiola said that he wants him to stay and, and City will, will try and keep him. But yeah, I'd, I'd be I'd be surprised if he leaves just because of the times running out. Barcelona clearly don't have any money. It's going to be interesting when City go to Barcelona next week for this this uh, charity match. When mm-hmm. when if, if Bernardo indeed does turn up, and I'm sure every question that directed at Guardiola from the Catalan media will be about Bernardo. But it's probably not a helpful fixture given what's what's happening with Bernardo but I think if he does stay he will continue to give 100% he might not be one who stays beyond the length of his contract I think that's 
that would be fair if he wants to leave, if he, even if he leaves next summer if, if a bid comes in. But for now, it seems like Barcelona simply can't afford him. No one else has got the money, so he's going to stay. Yeah, absolutely. And when we say there's been no offers made to City yet from Barcelona or, or anyone else for that matter, as you say, Barcelona fans were getting very giddy on Saturday when it looked like Bernardo was saying goodbye, but the club have made absolutely no approach as of yet. So for now, Bernardo is staying. As, and as I said earlier, I think even if the money did come in, it'd just be a lot of change. Like we've, we've praised Guardiola for the kind of rejuvenation he's gone to this year, you know, allowing Sterling, Jesus, Fernandinho and um, Zinchenko all to go and bringing in the likes of Alvarez and Haaland and, of course, Phillips. That's a good refresh for the squad. It's good to keep things um, flowing and uh, recycled, keep the desire up, keep um, things feeling fresh, not letting things get stale. I think letting Bernardo go as well would just... That's a lot of change in one summer to have. And I'd say there's just no... He's such an important player. Um, he can play in midfield, play in attack, um, as a central striker out wide... Losing that sort of flexibility and versatility would come as a real blow. And I, I, there's not a lot of obvious replacement candidates. One player who has been repeatedly linked with City over the years is um, Hussein, and I cannot say his name, Hussein Aowa. Aowa? 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 God, no, I can't do it. I can hardly spell it. There's too many vowels for my um, liking. But he's been a player who's received big praise from Guardiola in the past done really well against City in three games after playing them three times at Leon hasn't lost once and of course it's got two assists when Leon um, uh, knocked City out of the Champions League back in 2020 but apparently he's off to Nottingham Forest which would be the shock transfer of the summer um, I think City should maybe just nudge in regardless if they need him or not just to you know kind of a player of that quality going um, to Forest I wouldn't have thought but do you see any other potential replacements for Bernardo I, th I think it's really slim pickings well this is it Guardiola said um, or City won't let him go if there isn't a replacement and I don't think there are any replacements um, around or especially to fill that quality um, which is why Maybe Jude Bellingham but Dortmund are not letting him go this summer No and it, it, it's what two and a half weeks till two weeks till the end of the transfer window it's, Exactly You're not going to get good value anymore and I think this is the problem that they've had with left backs we know Sergio Gomez is is coming in and City were going to send him out on loan or we're going to have a look at him and then decide whether to send him out on loan and they weren't putting all the eggs in that basket for him to fill the left-back position then Guardiola said on Friday actually we've had a look at it we've looked at his videos a little bit more we've spoken to Vincent Company we've looked at the other options out there we, we, we're keeping Gomez for the season and, and we're not really going to sign anyone else and I think it sounds like City's business is done. Obviously, things can change, but I don't know. There's we're thinking about left backs. There aren't that many left backs around, so it makes sense to sign a player like that. And I think the same situation applies for for midfielders. I just don't think there's there's any obvious replacements. I know that is it. Mateus Nunes has been linked a lot. I don't know if that... It's going to Wolves, well, exactly. I think. I don't, I don't know if there was that ever translated to any yeah. interest from, from City or it was just linked in the paper. But um, yeah, he's now going to Wolves. And if these players are going to Wolves and Nottingham Forest, then are they Man City standard anyway? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I'm, I, it sounds like City's business is, is done this, this summer. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll touch more on Gomez um, in a moment, but just to kind of round off the um, City's match against Bournemouth, you know, it was the first home game of the season. Um, I thought it, it, 
what was the atmosphere like? Um, you know, welcoming Haaland there and the other new players. And of course, there was um, a big um, presentation of Man City uh, women representatives, the Lionesses, who obviously brought home the Euros. And um, what was the reaction to that like? I know City women will play. Um, you know, the, one of the good. Um, points to the World Cup kind of cutting through the season this year is that it's freed up the Premier League grounds for the women's teams. Um, United have will be playing at Old Trafford in the first weekend of December and in the second week City versus United will be at the Etihad. Um, I believe tickets have already gone selling quite well for it even though it's a few months out and um, there's been a massive increase. I, I believe season tickets for United women are actually sold out this year at least Sports Village and I think tickets, tickets interest around um, at the CFA for the city women are doing really strong as well from what I hear. So it, it interests definitely growing in the women's game and no surprise after the heroics um, in the Euros. But what, what was their welcome like and what was what was the atmosphere like on the first day? I can't imagine as much to be uh, upset about at City at the moment. No, it, it was glorious weather. First game of the season, Erling Haaland's there. Um, yeah, it was all all very good and, and very happy. And just before I kick off the, the triumphant lionesses were there so it was a yeah yeah very good and i think is it 10 over ten thousand tickets already sold for that derby in in december at the etihad that's going to be a, a great occasion um i think the first home game of the wsl season against arsenal all the seated tickets are sold out so it's just the standing ones at the end so i think that's yeah hopefully we'll see a lot more a lot more uh fans in the ground watching watching the women's football and city have actually got some Champions League qualifiers this week. They've got a team that I don't really remember. They have Tomiris Turan um, in the Champions League. Um, and I th- I'm not entirely sure of the, the structure, but it's in like a, a round yeah. robin or a, a, a group. And That's right. So the BBC is Real Madrid, is that right? And then that gets them a place no. in the... No, it's, it's, it's a round robin, as you say. They play in this team who you just said who I can't remember as well. But then I think they also play, um, I want to say, Strongest from Sturm Norway, Gast, I want to say. Sturmgast, that's it. And do something like that. So it's a round robin, and then I believe they go into another round robin or a knockout. It might be a knockout after this if they go through this, they have another knockout. But yeah, it's a really strange, it's a really strange order. I was talking. Um, to someone at City about it, and uh, yeah, it was, it, I, it was going straight out. It was very confusing, not not as um, streamlined as the knockouts that, that happen in the, the men's game. But you know, no doubt that'll kind of get revolutionised as more teams kind of as the you know, as the competition expands and the game continues to grow. Yeah, um, it's, it's certainly looking like a strong season. I say ten thousand tickets already gone for that game at the Etihad, and you've got to imagine the closer the date comes, uh, the date is not actually set yet, of course, and. I believe the weekend England could potentially be playing, so they're going to hopefully avoid clashing with that. But hopefully that should be a really good crowd come. I think it's December 11th, my birthday, and um, currently scheduled for, but it, it could move. It's probably going to be selected for television, yeah. so it'll likely move, at least, if not kickoff time, definitely. Um, sorry, if not date, then almost certainly kickoff time. Um, yeah, it's definitely been a, a great summer for City and going into you know, a great game. Another kind of good aspect, we'll touch on quickly, is Rico Lewis came on for his debut, only 17 years old, hardly played for the EDS, pretty much um, a leapfrog to the EDS from the under-18s last year, captain in the under-18s to a league title. Um, how, how did he do? Because I went to the EDS game on the following day and he started that, um, still blistering heat, played 90 minutes, a lung busting display. At one point, he literally had to run, sprinted across the pitch to get back and end a Leicester counter attack and help to start win three one. 
with the little bit of weakness at fullback City have, it's good that these youngsters, you know, Joshua Wilson, Esban was on the bench as well. It's good that these youngsters are kind of getting an opportunity and so far, well, seemingly taking it. Um, how, how did he do on his uh, on his debut? Um, I didn't really notice him. I was had my head buried in my laptop at just to finish, finish my uh, my on the whistle pieces, but um, I think that's a compliment at this stage. He, he was pretty similar in uh, in pre-season. Obviously, he hit the post against Bayern Munich, but to not put a foot wrong in this city side as a 17-year-old is probably a decent achievement as well. Uh, Guardiola said he he was keen to get him on just to give him that taste, give him that experience, and he was a bit disappointed not to get Wilson Esband on as well. Um, I think his best chance of getting minutes is going to be in these games where the, ta- the the contest is over, City have won the game, and he can just give uh, give Kyle Walker a rest for for a few minutes. And, and same with Wilson Esband on the other side. Um, I think right back's going to be interesting now that left back's been sort of solved with Sergio Gomez because Gomez will be giving Cancelo a rest, but the person who will give Kyle Walker a rest is Cancelo at the same time. So it'll have to be sort of a, a weird rotation policy to to sort of not give everyone a rest every week, but maybe give people 60 minutes rather than uh, 90 minutes every time. Um, but if Rico Lewis can hold his own in these sort of games, maybe against the, the lower opponents in the Premier League and and pop up with just a, a helpful 10, 15 minutes here and there, then he could have a, a really useful part to play. But um, did I notice Wilson Hezbrand played on the wing for the... Yeah, he did. Yes. So that's... Not entirely the, the situation that has been earmarked for for the for the first team, but I think Guardiola said Lewis Wilson has Brandon all staying with the first team this year and dropping down to the EDS. But Liam Delap isn't because he's too good for the EDS now. Um, so mm. hopefully for those players they'll get the minutes that they need for the youth team and then pop up for the the first team when whenever they're needed. Yeah, absolutely. Let's say Wilson Esban played on the wing in that match. It was quite a threat, and Leicester's fullbacks clearly kind of targeted him. They had to kind of drag him down a few times, and it was left a bit frustrated. He, he, he was unlucky not to kind of be involved in a goal. He was really City's big threat at the start, but kind of just got snuffed out, I'd say. He kind of just got any, any time he was about to break free, he was dragged down or tripped up. But he, he certainly scared the the bejesus out of the Leicester bat line. Um, but yeah, City's EDS going strong. It's a completely, almost pretty much new look EDS from last year with the likes, I say, the laps moved on and likely going out on loan. Um, Cole Palmer um, is at the first team now. He likes the McAtee, Kaike. Um, of a and loan, Romeo Lavia's left. Um, there's been a lot of change. CJ Egan Riley's left, the captain. There's been a lot of uh, change. There's only Luke Mbete, Josh Wilshire, Wilson Esbrand, and, and well, Lewis is like a newcomer. But it's only them two, and Finley Burns is back after a loan spell. It's only them for two, three or four who are kind of the more experienced heads. And but even so, despite all the change, they made a really strong start to the season, winning both the games. And uh, Dyer Mabudi, he, he's, he's the next one to keep an eye mm-hmm. on. Three goals, two games. He came off the bench against Leicester. Um, the game, it was 1-1 at the time. City had lost a bit of the rhythm. It was getting a bit sluggish in the heat. He came on and just sparked it back to life. Scored within three minutes. Could have had a hat-trick, to be honest with you. Had really good chances, but was involved in every City attack. And he looks like a really exciting player. So definitely one to keep an eye on. And, and then finally, Joe, you know, we'll, t- we'll touch on Sergio Gomez. City's 
left-back replacement for Zinchenko. It's expected to be announced any moment now. Um, 11 million transfer from Anderlecht, we understand. Um, he was brought up as a winger. He's, he's had a really good kind of sporting education. He came through, um, he's a Catalonian, was brought up through Barcelona's La Masia youth ranks. He went over to Borussia Dortmund, you know, no strangers to developing talent, but then kind of went back to Spain with Huesca, I believe, and then has recently been, um, uh, Ander, you know, real globetrotter for a player so young, but spent the last few years at Anderlecht. Um, Vincent Kumpen transferred him to a left-back last season and it's, that's where he really kind of found his groove and, and grabbed 15 assists so it looks like certainly to be a, a, a defender in the Guardiola mould that's for sure Yeah and I think I saw on on Saturday how he could fit in because there was a few times when Jao Cancelo got the ball in a crossing position on his left foot and then cut back, lost possession, miscontrolled. He's not a natural left-footed player to the point where when there was a drinks break, Guardiola got Cancelo, Nathan Ake, Ilkay Gundogan over and was pointing and doing all his gesturing as he does. And suddenly they stopped giving Cancelo the ball to cross on that side. So it, it affected City's tactics in a way that they couldn't have that crosser with the left foot. Now, obviously, he did cross the ball with his left foot for the fourth goal, but that came after he declined the chance to cross immediately, cut back onto his right and then chop back again. So he, he, Cancelo's natural position is not to cross with his left. If Sergio Gomez has been brought up a winger, as you say, moved back by Vincent Company, now Anderlecht is going to be a very different challenge to Manchester City. But if he can step in in games, get to the byline, either underlap or overlap and put those balls in, then that's a gap that City genuinely don't have on on the left side at the moment uh, someone who can cross that that ball with the left foot first time I'm not entirely sure of his defensive credentials um, I think there's a reason we probably haven't heard of him too much I think he will need time and the fact that City were going to sign him as a development player rather than a first team squad player tells you how he's probably not going to be ready to start a lot of games, but he's clearly got potential. Seven goals, 15 assists last year. He's, um, Guardiola said the other day that when Phil Foden was the best player in, was it the under-17 World Cup? Yeah, then Sergio Gomez was the second best player for Spain. He's also won the, I think, Euro under-19 championship before. He's clearly got good credentials. He's he's going to be one for the future. Um, and if he is a better option than signing someone else, then... City clearly feel he can play a role, but I, I wouldn't expect him to be um, a first choice by by any stretch. But he does sound like he has the potential and, and the credentials to potentially make it in the future and, and be a good attacking left-back. Yeah, it'll certainly be intriguing to see how he develops and grows under Guardiola. And of course, we'll have all of his progress at City well detailed. And of course, his transfer, which we will expect any any moment at some point soon. We know the deal's pretty much done. So we'll be keeping an eye out for that. And when it is announced, you'll be able to get all the transfer latest right over at Manchester Evening News. .co.uk forward slash Manchester City, of course, all the latest on Bernardo Silva as well, and City's continued Premier League title. In fact, there's a busy week coming up next week. Um, as you say, friendly at Barcelona. Next game, next up, there's Newcastle United. Um, the Champions League group stage draws coming up. So a lot, a lot of stuff happening. A lot, a lot of exciting times. You know, the football, the season is well and truly underway at this point. And you know, the best place to keep up with all your Manchester City news is, of course, the Manchester Evening News. And of course, you get us over. I've said, of course, so many times there. I really need to cut that out. That's an absolute 
error on my part, but we'll try and we'll try and wrestle Don't it back know, in. You can follow us. Ah, they definitely did. They're going, oh, this lad, shut up. Well, I will show up momentarily when I tell you to go and follow us on Twitter at Man City MEN, and you can get, and he'll, and he'll say it again then, and you can get us on Facebook at Manchester Evening News, uh, the Manchester City page, Facebook page. So thank you all very much for listening, and we'll catch you all very soon. Uh, but that's goodbye for now. It's a wrap.